In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning again. Where are y'all at right now? That's why it's sunny outside. I'm thinking everybody's imagining what's going to happen around when he gets done with this hour-long sermon. No, it's not going to be an hour. Well, good morning. That's better. Okay, let's make sure you're awake. So, here we are. We jumped ship. We jumped right out of Matthew and right into what choir? John. We jumped right into John, and John is... Justin's favorite gospel. There lies the problem with the sermon on John. I love John. Now, what makes this particular passage in John so interesting is that this is actually Jesus' baptism. Probably not what you were expecting, right? How many of you thought that that was Jesus' baptism that you just read? I don't see any hands going up. So either being really good Episcopalians or you're just uh, Brian Allison in the back holding down the fort. You did see it because you were at men's group on Thursday where y'all got to cheat early. Now I'm just kidding. Well, not really. We did talk about that. Anyways, so it's Jesus' baptism and then the calling of the disciples or the start of that process, the calling of the disciples, none of which is probably the stories we tell our kids if we were to talk to them about the calling of the disciples. We usually talk about boats and fishermen, and you're going to be fishers of people and all this stuff. We don't usually tell John's version of the story. If you think about it, we don't really tell John's version of much because it just seems so out there sometimes. Like at Christmas, I don't get up and we don't have people dress up like the logos or the word and come down the aisle, little children in the pageant. We don't we don't have some primordial being that exists and come down. No, we have sheep and we have shepherds. Well, none of that's in John. None of that's in John. I could say it again, but I think y'all get the point. John's gospel is so different. And this story is different. But John makes so much sense, I think, to us in our lives, more so than the other three gospels in so many ways. Because John's gospel starts on the notion of who Jesus is you know right off the bat, the audience in the story, the readers who read John's gospel, they know Jesus is the Messiah. John doesn't hold back at all. He wants you to know who Jesus is. And the rest of the gospel are different stories of people testifying to who Jesus is. And today is no different. With Jesus's baptism, the part of the story we get is John's understanding of what's happening to Jesus. Because John knew, John knew that the one who the dove descends on is the Son of God. And John testifies to us, so the reader knows this is the Messiah. Instead of giving us the whole narrative of Jesus walking down into the river, the dove descending upon him, and the voice in the cloud saying, this is my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased very reminiscent of the transfiguration. Instead, we get John the Baptist's testimony about Jesus. And then later in the story, John does it again as Jesus is walking to him. After he's been baptized, he says, behold, this is the Lamb of God. And John's disciples, John's little followers, immediately leave John and go and follow Jesus. That's just messed up. John needs people too. 
John needs an entourage. We all need an entourage. Boost our ego, makes us feel good. No, I'm just testing how awake y'all are still. Not, not very good yet. We'll get there. But anyways, John's disciples who have been faithful to him do drop what they're doing to go discover who Jesus is because, again, John testifies to who Jesus is. And people are moved by that. They, they go and they see for themselves. And then they have a conversation with Jesus. And they say, Rabbi, where are you staying? Not generally when you meet somebody, do you ask them where they're staying? But this is pretty normal first century talk because eventually everybody has to go to bed somewhere. And moving around takes a lot longer when you don't have cars. So you really have to think through where you're going to lay down every night because if you don't think about that, then you end up on the highways and byways. And that's just not good for anybody. Nothing. Okay, I'm just checking. All right. Anyways, that's what they want to do. And Jesus says, come and see. Come and see. And this becomes a pivotal theme in the Gospel of John. Come and see. And again, they go and see. And who calls Peter? This is a, I'm going to make you all answer this question. Who calls Peter? Does Jesus call Peter or somebody else call Peter? Who calls Peter? Andrew. Well done, Andrew. (laughs) There they are. Now they're awake. There they are. Well done, Andrew. Andrew calls Peter because what does Andrew do again? Oh, I lost him. Testifies about who Jesus is. Testifies about who Jesus is. And then Peter comes. And think about the pivotal role, even in John's gospel, that Peter plays. And his whole response is predicated on the fact that Andrew went out and talked about who Jesus was or who Jesus is and that Peter responded. And this whole notion of come and see. You know, I wondered when we think about this and we think about Epiphany, the season of light penetrating the darkness, we've left Bethlehem and we are now testifying to the fact that God is with us, that God is among us, the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. That's the work of Epiphany. That's our journey right now is sharing that good news. We testify about who Jesus is. We do it in word by word and deed. We do it by both. And I wonder how much we think about that on a day-to-day basis, that we imagine our lives as a revelation of God for somebody else. You know, the early church fathers, when they talk about this kind of revelation, this divine knowing, if you will, they talk about the importance that it ha- of, of it happening in community, of it happening within a faith community or within a group of people talking about God and learning from each other, arguing with each other, deepening their faith. You see, that's the tradition that the church has been founded on, a group of people coming together, being vulnerable and willing to testify about who they believe God is and listen for the Holy Spirit and those that they meet with. And it's in that work that the church was strengthened. It wasn't just scripture only. And it wasn't just tradition only. It was the conversation about Scripture in tradition with the teachings of the fathers in community that testimony and testifying and come and see really came to life in the, in the history of the church. So I wonder how much we think about that responsibility in our day-to-day life. How much do we think about our lives as an invitation to others to come and see How much do we as a church here at St. Luke's or the broader church in the world think about inviting people to come and see? 
how do we move beyond fear of, of change, fear of obstacles, things that we're scared to do prevents us from doing that very work that God invites us to consider. I'm going to fast forward for a minute by way of example to John chapter 6. And this is a story maybe many of you know, maybe some of you don't, and that's okay. The Samaritan woman at the well. So Jesus is thirsty because Jesus, we've got to remember, Jesus is fully human. So he needs water when he needs water, just like we need water, and he's in a desert. So he stops at Jacob's well, or the story says. And he meets a Samaritan woman. Now, there is no reason that a Jewish man and a Samaritan woman should be together at all. And quite frankly, the Samaritan woman's kind of rude to Jesus. She's got a bucket, and she looks at Jesus and says, you ain't got no bucket, buddy. How are you going to get that water? I'm not sharing my bucket because you're a Jewish man, and we're not supposed to get along. That's a South Georgia paraphrase of the story, but you get the idea. <laughs> More or less what happens, they, 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 don't, they don't jive. And the Samaritan woman says that to him. But Jesus stays engaged, breaks all cultural norms, all boundaries, and stays engaged with the Samaritan woman, and she does with him. Now, you've got to remember, Jesus isn't, this is what we do to Jesus, not what they did to Jesus back then. Jesus didn't have a glowing sign over his head that said, Messiah, treat with respect. Like, that didn't exist. People didn't know that just because he walked up. He was just another Jewish male who had a a story, who had some work to do for the sake of humanity. So as this exchange happens, she stays engaged, he stays engaged, and you watch the revelation happen. All of a sudden, later, slightly later in their conversation, she says, you must be a great prophet. And then later she, she says it, you're the son of God. You're the Messiah. And then she goes to her village and she testifies to who Jesus is. And she brings them to come. And she says those, those three words, come and see. And she brings them all, the whole village to the well to meet Jesus so that they can come and see for themselves the revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ. We as people have such a great responsibility when we choose to follow Jesus. Our work is, is just in done in community. We do it together, but we, we have such a great responsibility to invite people into the greater work of the kingdom, to come and see God at work in our lives and in the world around us. And we do it in very powerful ways, and we do it in small ways. Tomorrow, we're going to remember as a nation somebody, Martin Luther King Jr., who did it in great ways, who taught a world that change could be achieved through nonviolence, that it could be achieved through the gospel of love. And he modeled that for us. Martin Luther King Jr., for his time and day, modeled in a very prophetic way the work of the gospel of how you invite people to come and see Every person that interacted with his civil rights movement, the work that he was doing, saw a very alive and risen God who was full of love and compassion. And that's what he preached, and that's what he taught. So you take somebody like him on the eve of Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and you remember what he teaches us. Then you think about those of of you who have sat in pews with you, those of you who might have brought you to the church, those of you who you see in your workplaces, your schools, and who are those that you can testify to the fact that God is alive and that God loves them and that God teaches us to reconcile, to forgive? How many folks this week are we going to invite to come and see? 
to come and see something real, something transformative. We as St. Luke's, we as the broader Christian church, how much time do we spend actually inviting people to come and see God through our life, or how much time do we spend putting walls up on those who don't get to come and see? This is the radical nature of the gospel, that just as Jesus stood at the well with somebody who culture said you're not supposed, who wasn't welcome into the void at the time of salvation, a Samaritan woman, Jesus stays there in community and relationship with her, and in her life, she tells those to come and see. She testifies. She transforms before our very eyes into a light bearer and goes back to her village and pierces the darkness of hatred and violence towards the Jews to help them see the Messiah. Epiphany is the season of light. It's the season of light piercing the darkness. So how are we here today going to pierce the darkness with a simple invitation to those we meet by saying, come and see. Come and see. Amen. Please stand and join me in the Nicene Creed, found on page 8 of your bulletin. <clears throat> 